Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, I'm Jawad as always, coming to you on a very, very, very cold 30th of May. It's Thursday, and hopefully some talk about racing and other sports warms up the belly a little bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's freezing, it's been like this all week so far, and... For someone who's actually spent a couple of winters abroad, um, traveling in an, during an Australian summer, that is, and going um, to the Northern Hemisphere, um, I still can't hack the cold. I'm not a fan. So, and then again, I'm not a big fan of when it's 40 degrees either. So, you know, just the balance would be great. But anyway, we're sort of coming into a, or oh, it is winter now, so got to deal with it. But that's why we love winter in a way because that's when all the the motorsport is on and all the racing all over the world so yeah quite a bit of it to talk about today um with what's happened on the weekend um with monaco we've got the indy 500 and of course supercars are at winton over the weekend so starting off with monaco and um i guess everyone was uh truly upset and sad over the news last week about Nicky Lauda passing away and you know of course the entire F1 um, world at Monaco did um, do their best to to remember and pay tribute to the three-time world champion Um, I guess most touching was on the Sunday where everyone on the grid were wearing the red caps um, with Nicky written on the front, so of course uh, Nicky fa- um, famous for his red cap, so everyone doffing their caps, I suppose, to um, pay tribute to him, and I guess the best best tribute and, you know, best gesture was the fact that Mercedes um, took the victory over the weekend, you know, and who better to do it than Lewis Hamilton, of course, he took a emphatic pole position, um, seemed really exhausted at the end of that lap on Saturday and, you know, being pushed by Bottas to, to get there and then, of course, quite emotional too because, um, you know, if you've followed Hamilton's Instagram posts um, since uh, Lauda's passing, you know, and even if you haven't, like, if you've followed him for, for the last few years, you'll know that how close Hamilton and Lauda have been and, of course, Nicky was instrumental in bringing Lewis over to Mercedes from McLaren back in 2012 so of course you know driven by that passion and um, desire uh, Hamilton just pulled one out of the rat uh, pulled a rabbit out of the hat this weekend and Mercedes finished one and three um, Bottas uh, running into a bit of trouble there having to take an extra pit stop during the race because he had a puncture it was because he made contact with Max Verstappen in the pit lane after during the first pit stops Max uh, had an unsafe release so ended up copying a penalty for that but also put Bottas out of the um, equation to as far as fighting for the win so talking about the race at, as a whole so the threat of rain stayed away in the end I mean there was a bit of excitement when the clouds started rolling in and a lot of people I think were doing a bit of a rain dance to try and get a result this weekend that wasn't going to be the same uh, status quo Mercedes win so far, but uh, they've gone, um, they've won every race so far this season. But their record of 1-2 finishes 
chapter does come to an end, so that streak finishes with, um, it was Sebastian Vettel who ended up inheriting second as a result of Verstappen's penalty, so with Hamilton, it wasn't a straightforward race either, you mean, I mean, it seemed a bit confusing at the time when Mercedes put Hamilton on a, onto medium tyres, whereas all the other guys went onto the hard tyre, and then, of course, Hamilton pretty much throughout the whole race was just on the radio complaining to his team that he's not going to make these tyres last, he's not going to make these tyres last, um, but that's the thing about Monaco, is that you could be the slowest car, but if you're in the lead, you're going to stay in the lead unless someone tries to, or finds a way past, there's no trying, because Max tried for how many laps, and then at seven, uh, at lap 78, sorry, um, no, it wasn't at 78, it was, I don't know, earlier than that, anyway, a few laps before the end of the race, he decides to send it at the Nouvelle Chicane, but um, made, made contact in the end, I don't know if you've seen that spectacular photo that's been doing the rounds on the internet, um, of Max and Hamilton touching, so that was quite spectacular, but yeah, Hamilton ended up keeping the position, Max, I guess, had no choice, it was a do-or-die situation for him, he could have passed Hamilton and then led the race by five seconds to, to win and not take that penalty, but regardless, if he was going to just finish second on track, he was going to take that penalty anyway, because he didn't have that five-second buffer between himself and the car behind, which was Sebastian Vettel, so yeah, Verstappen dropped to fourth, but you got to give him credit for um, sending it, uh, or licking the stamp and sending it, as Daniel Ricciardo said last year in China, um, and you got to commend Bo uh, not Bottas, you got to commend Max as well, how he's come sort of leaps and bounds since last year, like, this time last year at Monaco, this was sort of his, you know, the turning point in a way, because he could have been where Daniel Ricciardo was this time last year, as far as actually dominating the weekend and then winning the race, uh, Max was quick in practice, but then crashed in qualifying, that put him back in the pack, and then during the race, he didn't really make much of an impression, or couldn't really fight at the front, so, you know, this is perhaps where, you know, 12 months later, when we look at it, Max has certainly matured in a way, I mean, let's just get Brazil last year out of our minds, <laughs> but um, at this point of uh, 2019, he looks very mature with the way he's racing, and it's sad in a way, like, we can talk about this for hours on end, about how you know, Red Bull are not at that same level as Mercedes as far as fighting for championships and being on an even on, on an even playing field for the for the sea whole season. So, yeah, I don't know what to say. Well, I do know what to say, but I don't really know how to just put it in a few words to talk about it now. Like it's just a great shame. That's all I can say. But yeah, good to see Red Bull up there again. Um, fighting, this circuit was always going to suit them anyway, because it doesn't really, there's no reliance on power, and it's more of a chassis circuit with a high downforce, um, so, yeah, you know, good, good result for them there, um, and for Vettel, I guess, best result for Ferrari in 2019, it's, it's hard to think that they haven't yet even reached second, let alone win a race, um, 
and that basically came as a result of uh, Max dropping to fourth. So Ferrari, again, didn't really have the pace to, to keep up with the guys ahead. And um, for Charles Leclerc, unfortunately, it was his home Grand Prix on the weekend, the Monegasque driver that he is. But the complete opposite of how he would have wanted it. A horror weekend in the end. And a second DNF in a row for him at this venue because last year he crashed his, L, uh, his Sauber um, Alfa Romeo, whatever you want to call it. Um, he crashed his Salva towards the end of the race um, at Nouvelle Chicane. But yeah, no, this time it started with qualifying. So he was actually fastest at the end of practice three. And that got people a bit uh, excited. They were like, ooh, you know, that think of that Homer Simpson gif coming out of the, <laughs> coming out of the bushes. And then slowly after they made another strategic blunder, as far as putting him out, you know, um, at the wrong time and cost him a place in Q2. So, you know, and at, at a circuit like Monaco, qualifying is everything. And the fact that, yeah, they couldn't even make it out of Q1 is just embarrassing. And where to begin with that? I mean, we talked about it last week as well, where it just seems like Ferrari have got no confidence. They don't really back themselves in any of the decisions they make. You know, I mean, some of the commentary over the weekend was like, you know, they they read what's written on a computer and almost forget about common sense as well, you know, and this is where Mercedes, because they're so used to winning and they've been doing it for a long time now, they've just nailed these little one percenters, not even one percenters, but nailed all these um, key things that attribute to being a great team and to getting those results day in, day out, not, you know, once in a blue moon, so yeah, and that left poor Charles very uh very angry and you, you know you can it doesn't matter if he's the young driver or the rookie driver or whatever he has a right to be angry because his team in this instance and in previous instances as well have not delivered so yeah you can't fault the young the young guy for trying but uh, yeah it's just on the team at the moment to get their act together and do something because you know when you look at the championship points now um, Sebastian Vettel, who's the highest placed Ferrari driver, is still in third place, believe it or not. Um, he's not even on 100 points yet, whereas Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, he's on 137, Bottas 17 points behind him. So, yeah, this championship has pretty much become a two-horse race, unless we get some kind of dramatic turnaround in the next few races, but... That doesn't seem very likely at this stage or, you know, you, you never see those kind of drastic comebacks at all, in a, even if it's a 21 race championship. Um, going back to the top, though, with Hamilton, I guess even though we did have our ears hurting of him complaining over the whole race about the tyres and everything and then Mercedes actually ended up saying, oh, we're sorry, uh, we made a bo- made a mistake with that one. Um it just goes to show you, Monaco, you can you can just be the slowest car, you can have the worst tyres and still win the race. So he shouldn't have been worried in that at that stage about it. And um, what it also did was open up that debate again, which seems to come every year at this stage. And I'm not going to really share much on it. And that's the whole idea about Monaco, you know, its place on the F1 calendar should be it be changed, should there be changes to the race, track layout, whatever, the rules to make it more exciting? Answer to that is no. Like, I even, on a forum, um, entertained 
the idea about perhaps enforcing a rule where you have to use each compound tyre or minimum two pit stops or something, it's got to be um, done. But, you know, even then it was sort of a half half baked idea to check it out, you know. But in the end, it's a, it's a great product. You know, it's exciting in not the traditional way of exciting. Like, it's, I certainly stayed at the edge of my seat and, you know, I'm not going to say my heart was about to come out of my, come out of my chest, but, um, well, that would be really concerning, actually. But yeah, no, it was intense, that final part of the race where you're waiting if Verstappen's going to make a move. How can Hamilton hang on? Because, Whilst in the back of your mind you think, yeah, Hamilton will be right, you also have that thought, what if, you know, the tyre just decides to go and he ends up um, with a puncher or something like that? Or he just loses grip, goes into the wall. So a lot of things can go wrong, but they didn't. But it was still an exciting race in a way. Um, And given that it's such a jewel in the crown race, it's been on the calendar for for pretty much the beginning of Formula One and everything, it's got so much prestige about it, there doesn't need to be any changes to it, so that's just, again, you know, this time next year we're going to be talking about it again, probably what doesn't help is the fact that one team is winning, and that's not Monaco's fault, that's just the current state of Formula One with, you know, not even Formula One's fault, it's the other teams' fault for not um, being up there with Mercedes, Ferrari, this year they've just been awful you know so last year they were in the hunt at this time uh last year in the championship hunt red bull came on song as well and i know they've had that switch to honda power this year but the onus is the onus is now on the teams to to deliver not for formula one to deliver rules for you know i mean forget about the midfield for now but even those other two top three teams haven't delivered so far this year so that's where I'm going to leave that one and no I do not think Monaco should be changed in any sort of way it is fine as it is so let's keep talking about Monaco anyway because we've got the midfield and um, Pierre Gasly who seems to be all on his own throughout most of the races anyway but he finished a solid fifth um, this time out, best result of the season for him since his move to Red Bull. He also picked up the fastest lap award as well, um, that extra championship point. So between he and Charles Leclerc, it seems to be a um, uh, thing that's going back and forth between those guys. And ironically, they're best friends as well. So there you go. They'll be you know, sharing some kind of prize, hopefully, at the end of the season if they keep um, splitting the fastest lap awards um safety car we only had the one which was brought out because of Charles Leclerc uh leaving a lot of debris on the track so you know he ended up having a puncture and then just shredded his wheel which he shouldn't have done but that was just his frustration I guess with the with the team so that left a lot of debris on the track um safety car came out we had Daniel Ricciardo Kevin Magnussen who had qualified really well Dan he had his season best qualifying, you know, since moving to Renault, but um, that 
pit stop under the safety car backfired. They ended up getting stuck, and also Carlos Sainz and the two Toro Rosso drivers actually ran actually ran long into their first stint on those soft tyres. So um, they ended up in the points. They built up a buffer, made their pit stop, and then uh, were able to stay ahead of the likes of Magnussen and Ricardo. Ricardo, though, lucky to come back and finish ninth in the end. Um, and Roman Grosjean was demoted to 10th with a penalty, so he would have finished ahead of Dan otherwise. But, uh, yeah, he had some time added to his his um, overall race time at the end to drop him a place. And um, Carlos Sainz, of course, coming in for another solid result behind um, behind Gasly, I believe. Let me double-check. I didn't actually put up the results ahead of me but yeah no Sainz is on a really good run of form at the moment and even though Lando Norris has missed out on points again uh, McLaren you could say that they've uh, really done quite well in this opening part of the season and they still sit fourth in the Constructors Championship as well so perhaps the sign of them turning their fortunes around you know and it'll be it's it's really pleasing to see so yeah Sainz was uh sixth in the end Danny Kvyat uh seventh ahead of Alexander Albon so the Toro Rosso guys in the points again and Toro Rosso they've been quite consistent and for Danny Kvyat as well I think that's his best result in a Toro Rosso um since his demotion to Toro Rosso a couple of years ago uh, from Red Bull. So great stuff for him. For Albon as well, quietly chipping away. And then, of course, uh, Grosjean, as I said, in 10th. And Magnussen down in 12th, unfortunately. So you could see the extent of him losing out there um, after that uh, safety car pit stop. Not a very happy 300th Grand Prix for Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, we didn't really get to talk about it much last week, but... um, yeah, he ended up um, celebrating his 300th Grand Prix over the weekend. Uh, he said to the team pre-race that um, you better cancel any celebrations. He doesn't want to have any of it, typical Kimi fashion. But, you know, they were able to cut some cake and everything on the Sunday. And um, But in the end, it wasn't a, a great race for the Alpha guys. So Kimi 17th and uh, Giovinazzi in 19th. And last, as it was with uh, Leclerc's um, DNF, Robert Kubits are also surviving around the streets of Monaco. I guess there was a lot of um, contention at the start of the year where whether he would be able to physically handle the challenge of Monaco, and he seemed to come out all right there. So that's good to see for those guys. And Williams, again, even though they're sorry even though they're not you know they're not in the points they're not really with the rest of the teams um they're finishing races consistently they haven't had a dnf yet so i guess they've got that reliability thing sorted but just need some speed in that car um that'll fix them up so yeah that's that's all for monaco i already went over the points so hamilton 17 points now over bottas at the top of the table Mercedes, you know, about 120 points almost or more than 120 points ahead of Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. So, again, it's all down to where the midfield is. McLaren, 30, down to Alfa Romeo now on 13 points So and everything else in between. So, that's going to be quite close uh, heading into 
the next few races and then coming back into we go to montreal and then come back into to europe as well for those core races so yeah let's move things on then talk some um talk some supercars now and uh winton classic race as always going from the uh the night race spectacle of perth over to country victoria and winton's actually a really good track i went there in 2015 it's you can pretty much stand anywhere at the track and have a view of the entire track so one of those classic circuits um, that is is open pretty much and it was meant to be packed out over the weekend they had um all the campsites full so it was good to see um good to see that for the crowds and they condensed the format this year as well they just had it over two days instead of the three so we had practice on saturday only one practice session for the the main game drivers because they did a co-driver practice session in the morning and then they had the uh, knockout qualifying and then straight into race 13 and then same thing on uh, Sunday with race 14 so let's go over I guess the talking points from there and first up uh, I guess there was a little bit of a little bit of fire between the two DGR team Penske teammates with um, Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard clashing on the first lap of race 13 and a bit of contention as well with uh, Scott McLaughlin's rejoin but it was cleared up later as uh, he didn't get any penalty for it um, and whatnot. He ended up winning that race. Um, in the end, bit of strategy helped him. Good pit stop from the team and uh, ended up winning race 13. Did the same thing, race 14. Started on pole and, and won. So, um, dominant weekend for those guys again. And for Fabian, he copped a penalty for that clash with McLaughlin didn't finish well on Saturday but Sunday he ended up coming back and finishing second so one and two for those guys McLaughlin extending his championship lead interesting to note too as well that uh, James Courtney inherited the lead um, after that first lap clash between the two teammates in the Saturday race but then he and David Reynolds came to blows so Reynolds uh, ended up dropping back so did Courtney Reynolds ended up finishing on the podium though that day so Courtney would have been a bit bit uh, miffed about that one and uh, Chas Mostert who was on pole for that race ended up uh, second overall so for Saturday so good drive from those guys and for Erebus to be on the podium again good to see but for Chas Sunday was just all over the place like uh, first lap found himself at the back of the field some kind of balance issue in his car and then yeah ended up managing to get his way back into the top 10 which was um which was i guess a good result but yeah you've got to say probably not in the championship not in the championship at the moment or won't be this year you could say and his future is um very much something that's being talked about a lot at the moment whether um he's going to stay at tickford beyond this year going over to DGR Team Penske potentially next year you know there was during the broadcast there was a bit of banter about how the fact that he's got that new haircut that he had in Perth to uh, impress Roger Penske who was in Perth of course to to see that event so you know that's looking like it could be you know a strong possibility but with Fabian Coulthard actually in some good form 
in some good form this year. I mean, could it be justified? Um, could it be justified for those guys to um, drop Coulthard and uh, take on Mostert? You know, like with Coulthard in good form, I wouldn't say so. But let me entertain this notion: What if they decide to expand to three cars? Ah, there we go. Um, that would be quite something. And um, just to sweeten the deal, expand to three cars, get Mostert in there, also get his engineer into there. Because if you guys remember, Adam Debore did actually go over to DJR Team Penske. I think in 2016, he was uh, Scott Pye's engineer um, the first year that they expanded to two cars and Fabian Coulthard joined the team. So he's got some experience with that team. So imagine that. Like, that's just, you know, I'm not breaking any news or anything. That's just me throwing a hypothetical in there that they decide to expand to three cars, which is totally possible, you know. Um but also get, uh, as well as getting a gun driver, get a gun engineer along with him too, because we know that uh, Chaz and Adam Demore work really well together. So yeah, that's you know just something to throw into the uh, throw into the mix there. So let's see what happens. Um, the co-driver cup. So they had that additional drivers practice on Saturday morning. And nice to see the old hands go fastest. Craig Lowndes and Garth Tander at the top of the timesheets, both, of course, driving in the Red Bull Holden racing team cars. And then I think Warren Luff was third fastest in his uh, Walkinshaw Commodore. So, you know, good to see that. And also we had a range of um, confirmations too with uh, uh, Kelly Racing confirming their enduro lineup. So they announced that Bryce Fullwood from Super 2 and uh, Dale Wood would be joining uh, Andre Heimgartner and Rick Kelly respectively uh, in the Enduros this year and Dean Fiore and Alex Rullo confirmed to stay put. So Rullo was with Simona Di Silvestro last year and um, Dean Fiore was with Michael Caruso last year but the car that uh, Gary Jacobson's taken over um, which was Caruso's old car, um, Fiore will stay put in there so that's good to hear for for kelly racing dale wood back at nissan as well he was actually a full-time driver there for one year a couple of years back and um good to see that dean canto has also got a home this year so it looks like he won't be continuing on with tickford but uh team cool drive's taken him on board so he'll be partnering macaulay jones um in the enduros in the 21 cool drive car um, not many spots left actually on the um, enduro, the co-driver roster. So Tickford Racing with Lee Holdsworth, they haven't um, confirmed who's going to be partnering with him, but probably most likely be um, uh, Tom Randall from who's driving the the Tickford car in Super Two at the moment, and he did the the testing in the co-driver sessions. Jack LeBrock probably most likely will have John O'Webb jump in in the Techno car, and uh, Todd Hazelwood. So he was driving with Fullwood Bryce Fullwood last year, I think. So he'll obviously he's with the Nissan team this year. So yeah, not sure who'll jump in with with Toddy in that one. So um, I thought it might have been Ash Walsh, but uh, he's I think with. Brad Jones racing so yeah not um, uh, not only I guess that seat's pretty much uh, left for grabs at the moment but uh, yeah otherwise 
we always look forward to the enduro races and remember of course this year Bathurst is the first race um, to kick it off so big race to to kick off the enduros rather than having that um, pre-Bathurst race in, in Sandown so yeah it's a, it's a bit of a challenge to go straight to the mountain so let's keep the ball rolling and the Indy 500 the second jewel in the crown race that was on over the weekend after Monaco and um, unfortunately I could not pull an all-nighter and uh, and watch the Indy 500 as well after Monaco you know the F1 race is on late enough for, as it is and then to have to get up and go to work Monday morning so I did manage to catch the end of the the race so the last uh, 20 odd laps and then I watched a, a replay um, later in the day but yeah what a finish to that race like it's always about the the end of that race that I think um, you know anyone can tune in and if you want to see exciting racing there you go not that Monaco was not exciting I'm not you know giving Monaco a bad rap so don't anyone take away the fact that I'm oh, potentially giving Monaco a bad rap they're two different kettle of fish these uh, these races and the Indy 500 just a spectacle in its own right you know and uh, Simon Paginow congratulations um, first win there um, 18th win for Team Penske as well so Mr Roger Penske would have been a happy chappy over the weekend he was uh, winning in Australia winning over there at the Indy 500 and uh, Paginel, uh winning from Alexander Rossi and Takuma Sato and uh, I guess for Paginel he dominated the entire month of May so he won the um, the Indy GP that they had at the road course and then of course taking the pole position for the race as well and he led the majority of the race um, which would have been um, yeah you know to have that feeling and everything you know probably one of the best feelings in the world to win the Indy 500 hard not to be devastated for Alexander Rossi though um, and I'm sure he was well he was livid after the race and during the race too after a um, pit stop refueling blunder which cost him time and uh, lost him a possible margin that he could have had for him to lead the race so he managed to in the last few laps make a couple of passes on on Paginot and the Penske but um the wily Frenchman ended up uh, getting the, getting the lead back on the penultimate lap, and then I think just millimeters separated them at the finish line. So you know Rossi would have been gutted to miss out on that one. Could have been a second win for him at the Brickyard, but um, I guess he summed it up after the race. You know that uh, it's all about the win here at Indy. It doesn't no one remembers who finishes second or whatever. So you know that's in that respect you can understand his his frustration and um, him being upset and Rossi's a very cool and a very cool customer so to see him actually blow up on the radio or to hear him sorry um, was pretty I guess unique you would never heard him get that angry before so yeah hopefully I mean, he's got a long career ahead in Indy cars, so there should be a few more Indy 500 successes for him in the future. And now, I guess it's all about the championship this year. Um, elsewhere, Will Power, the Aussie, not the only Aussie in the field. We had James Davison as well, of course, brother of Will, who was racing in the supercars. But for Will Power, um, 
fight back to P5 after a penalty that he had in the in the pits. So he dropped to the back of the field, ended up coming back. So not the greatest of Indy 500s for the man who won last year. And Joseph Newgarden as well ended up missing out on a podium spot. Couldn't keep up um, with those top three guys. So, of course, he's yet to win a Indy 500 as well. The uh, 2014, I think, series champion, so or 2016, I believe. I, I forgot. He, he, but he is a champion, though. New Garden. I've got to brush up on my indie stats, um, but I'm enjoying what I'm seeing so far this year. And what I love is the fact that after this big race, the Indy 500, which is the race of the year, that not even seven days later they back it up and they go to Detroit, um, the Belle Isle. Grand Prix and they've got two races on a street course as well so um, you know it's like okay we just survived Indy and now we're back racing again straight away so this is where you know it can make or break a, a championship for any of those guys was also following the progress of Marcus Ericsson as well um, throughout the race his first Indy 500 uh, the XF1 driver, of course, and um, a pit lane shun, which was kind of bizarre. Saw him um, not get a really good finish, but he did finish in the end the race, which was good. So down in 23rd, two laps off the lead. And another guy who we talked about a bit last year who got himself into a lot of trouble in Formula 2, Santino Ferrucci. So given a bit of a lifeline in, in motorsport by IndyCar, and he ended up as the Rookie of the Year for the Indy 500, finished in P7 and actually stayed out of trouble, which is good to see the uh, the old hothead that he was last year. So, you know, if he has turned a leaf, it seems, then good on him. You know, we can be all forgiving when it comes to this sort of stuff, but if he was continuing with those same antics um, over an Indy car, then you would have probably turned around and said, well, yeah, you should ban him from racing altogether because uh, we don't need that kind of um, behaviour on track, especially when, you know, people are um, risking their lives, in a sense, to, to do this. And IndyCar is, you know, um, IndyCar is still, you know, motorsport is dangerous, let's leave it at that. And, you know, with IndyCar being at such high speed, it... Um, you know, is still, is still, you know, can be a bit life-threatening, but yeah, you know, motorsport is dangerous, it says it on the back of the ticket, um, we saw Robert Wickens last year, who was in that horrible crash, and he's recovering, which is good to see, so, you know, that's just the uh, occupational hazard as far as that's concerned, but yeah, that wraps up the whole Indy 500 thing, you know, until next year, and, um, just looking at photos and some video and whatnot from the weekend of the whole month and everything, it just seems like one of those things definitely that that definitely need to be done, you know, as far as a bucket list item. So um, I really would love to do it uh, soon, hopefully, give it a, a year or two. Would love to be back stateside to, to do that one. Alright then, it's that time again where we move away from racing cars and bikes and um, anything that goes broom broom <laughs> and um, talk about some ball sports and um, I would like to do a little bit of a preview for the Cricket World Cup that's um, actually starting today, England and uh, South Africa play 
over in England it is this time, but I might leave it until next week. And, um, so, yeah, I might actually pay some attention to it. Um, last time out, of course, it was here in Australia back in 2015. Ended up... Um, actually going there to one of the games which is quite good atmosphere was great sellout australia england but yeah we'll see how they go this year in australia i guess the real thing to talk about with australia is the fact that they've got um both david warner and steve smith back in the teams after serving their 12-month bans for ball tampering so those guys just back in the team but actually in some good form too so it's whether the public actually Except the fact that they're back, I'm sure the English over there will give it to them plenty, but um, yeah, I'm sure over here most have probably forgiven them. If not, then um, it's not surprising because, you know, cheats in any sport, uh, it's it's just terrible. But um, I wanted to talk about rugby league and also state of origin, which is one of the best times of the year for rugby league. And um, the first state of origin game for 2019 is next Wednesday so perfect time to to do a little preview and also you know they've announced the teams already um, one of the greatest sporting rivalries I think in the world New South Wales versus Queensland um, the Blues under pressure to defend the shield perhaps this season you know they with the baby Blues last year ended up winning quite convincingly over Queensland you know Queensland having having lost uh, a lot of their players from the old dynasty, the likes of Smith, Thurston, Cooper Cronk, and then Billy Slater, of course, retiring after last year's series. Greg Inglis as well, gone. Valentine Holmes, gone, of course, to pursue his NFL dreams. So a big big clear-out for the Maroons. So, you know, how do they approach this year's series um they've actually stuck with a lot of players that they had last year which is good um a couple of debutants coming in Moses Embai um Joe Offen Gowie from Brisbane and of course David Fafita as well another Broncos player they're all on the bench um and Daly Cherry Evans announced as the captain for Queensland the 15th captain and one that a decision that perhaps surprises many, given the fact that DCE was pretty much on the outer at Queensland, um, and, you know, even though he'd be informed, would never be selected, it was more of a personal grudge that people had against him for his backflip on the Gold Coast and everything, and not um, and going back to Manly, but it seems like everyone's sort of turned a page, turned over with DCE now, and um, sort of accepted it, and, you know, perhaps he could be this could be the start of a new dynasty for Queensland for him to lead from uh, his position at halfback because he has been quite good for Manly over the last two years as their captain so um, yeah it would be good to see that Michael Morgan a Cowboys player in the number three jumper and a Josh Maguire of course uh, back in the side too which is good to see so but for New South Wales, I guess injuries is what has dictated a lot of the changes for their team. So, you know, uh, we don't have James Roberts this year, of course. A bit of news about him. The fact he's gone from Brisbane to South Sydney to link up with Wayne Bennett again. Josh Morris comes in. Nick Kotrick comes in. 
as well. Morris has already played a few Origin games in the past for New South Wales, so his experience will be key. Um, James Maloney, who was the experienced one last year in the 5'8 jumper, dropped, of course, due to poor form, and Cody Walker comes into that number six. And, you know, I guess it's a bit unfortunate that Luke Keary, who's been one of the form halves players of, you know, the last eight months or whatever, has been over, had his concussion injury and he couldn't be a part of this team. And even Adam Reynolds, um, who's been on fire this year with Cody Walker at South Sydney, they both can't link up. A little bit of an injury for Reynolds over the weekend, even though he was cleared afterwards, um, didn't end up getting selected. And I guess the selectors keeping their faith in Nathan Cleary. And I guess it is a bit of a logical decision like I can understand the logic behind keeping Cleary in the team because you don't want another Mitchell Pierce situation on your hands where you know you blood this young player you know Mitchell Pierce was 19 when he first plays Origin but then becoming a part of a losing culture and blame and everything and then to be tossed out so quickly so I guess even though Penrith have been struggling this year and Cleary has not really had great form perhaps coming back into the blue setup and being under Brad Fittler, Andrew Johns, all those guys um, might galvanize him a little bit, you know, and uh, get that, uh, spark that form back into him, which will be good to see. And of course, taking it back to Penrith as well to try and uh, reinvigorate their season. But yeah, you know, Cody Walker, who's been so great this year, I think he's still the leading try scorer in the competition. Um, should be should be really good during the series. And, you know, with New South Wales already having guys like Latrell Mitchell, James Tedesco, Damien Cook, um, Josh Adokar as well, you know, you can easily keep them as favourites to, to go back-to-back and win another series. But there's something oddly eerie about Queensland this year. The fact that, you know... They're not in a panic state like they were last year with the Cameron Smith deciding to or announcing his retirement at the 11th hour. Um, you know, they've had their preparation go a lot better from the sounds of it. So, you know, and the first game being played at their home turf as well at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane, you know, you could, it wouldn't be a bad bet to go Queensland for this one. But um, New South Wales, by any stretch, are not going to are not going to be back to their old ways of, uh, you know, losing and bad culture and everything like that. I think that sort of thing has been expelled with the help of Brad Fittler and his um, coaching setup. So that'll be good. But other than that, I'm just hoping for a classic series, you know, like let it go down to the wire. Um, we saw that last year. Well, not last year, sorry. Um, we saw that two years ago, of course, 2017 the final game being the decider and um, this year we go to Brisbane and Perth actually Optus Stadium will be hosting game two um, and then back to ANZ Stadium in um, in Sydney for the finale so yeah if we can get a uh, one one all result heading back to ANZ that would be great personally I would like to see Queensland whitewash the series you know win 3-0 um, but you know we I'd, I'd rather prefer a bit of excitement there and see um, it go down to the wire but um, yeah other than that it's just uh, it's 
the cold goes back to the cold at the start you know all this good sport happens in the middle of winter for us so yeah um, racing and and the footy and all that it's it's good to see so this weekend so some motorbike action on Mugello the Italian Grand Prix for MotoGP Isle of Man as well going to be keeping tabs on that throughout the weekend the NBA finals kick off as well um, Golden State are going to meet uh, the Toronto Raptors so we'll see how that series pans out will Kevin Durant actually be back for game one which is tomorrow um, remains to be seen so yeah a lot to a lot to look forward to and try to stay warm I guess so yeah other than that thanks for tuning in of course as always um, find us on social media Twitter Facebook and you can listen to this podcast on Spotify as well as iTunes but uh, yeah back in another week to preview another Grand Prix it'll be Montreal next time out and um, other than that thanks for listening and see you guys next time